Hey folks, welcome into Onto Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney. We're going to talk Cubs, the mighty, mighty 500 Cubs. You know, I was thinking about, so, okay, so, yeah, <clears throat> that is mighty, that is mighty, by the way. No, but two things about that. Okay, so we're going to talk a bit about how the Cubs just finished August 15 and 15. We're going to talk about how they did it, why it matters, why it doesn't, all that good stuff. But I want to note two things at the top that, that I was thinking about. One is I was thinking about how much that once again harkens back to something we've talked about before, which is that 2014 season. In the second half of 2014, I remember because I was following it very closely. The Cubs were slightly below 500, I believe, in the second half. I think they, they were like a game or two under 500. And that was that felt monumental. It felt like, boom, this is the moment the page is turning into a competitive zone. And so I'm not saying this August proves that. That's not the point I'm making. It's only that 500 can feel pretty significant depending on the context. Okay, so that's a note up front. Um, and then the other thing is, uh, we, this one we don't have to linger on. It's just a point that ties back to, it was either this previous pod or the one before, but Cubs are heading to St. Louis this weekend. And I remember we were discussing about how in the that five-gamer they played last week, it just, to me, it did not feel like the Cubs were that crazy far behind the Cardinals in terms of like the, the team as presently constructed, as presently playing, just did not feel crazy off. And like, you know, if the Cubs are currently a 500 team, let's imagine they are, okay? That's not that far off from a a, a Cardinals team that's, you know, a, a bit better than 500. Like, it's just, it's still, I'm, I'm still a little bitter about all, I got a lot of pushback from folks that it was, that it was wild to suggest that the Cubs aren't that far behind the Cardinals. I said they were behind. I said they were behind. I'm just saying they're not that far behind. Okay. 500 Cubs, 15 and 15 in August. Give me your, uh, give me your snap takes, and then we'll we'll dig in on a couple specifics of it. Without having looked at the numbers in detail, uh, I think what this August really tells us is how important starting pitching is. Like just going off uh, my general, you know, looking at stats every now and then, and and the like, what I remember from the games. I don't think the offense has been great, not consistently good. Uh, and I and I know the bullpen has struggled and cost them multiple victories uh, in August. Uh, it's the starting pitching that kept them in games that that did a lot of the work here. And and I think we've we've tried to hammer that point home for uh, almost two years now, maybe. Uh, we've really talked about how important it is. I think Jed Hoyer has hammered it home. Uh, I think when you ask David Ross what he envisions for a future winning Cubs team, obviously there's a l- various areas where they need to improve, and offense is certainly one. Uh, but he always talks about, I want to be known for starting pitching and defense. That's the next winning Cubs team. And while we may not have seen the future on display outside of maybe Javier Assad. Uh, uh, on the mound out there as far as starters go. Uh, I, I think it just it hammers home that point of how big the injuries were to Smiley and Hendricks and Miley as far as derailing any plans they had for, you know, having that random season. Stroman, too, of course. And I think 
so many people are really critical of Strowman, and, and maybe that's just a Twitter thing, right? Uh, maybe it's not. We live in our Twitter alternate reality sometimes, uh, but I get a lot of pushback that Strowman's actually been fine. A lot of it is the injury that like he was slow to start the season, which I think is normal when you come to a new team. Uh, he, he had the, he had COVID and then he had the shoulder issue. I almost feel like you have to ignore those first few months and just look at how he's done the last few. Uh, and, and that looks a lot more like Marcus Stroman, but yeah, uh, starting pitching is the key here. That's my, that's what my takeaway is. Uh, if they want to win in the future, they need to continue to solidify that area. I'm not saying ignore the other areas. They almost certainly have to spend big on offense as well. Uh, whether that means trades and and free agency or what, whatever it comes, the, the, all these areas need to be improved. But it just continues to reinforce that that concept of how important starting pitching is and how you can win games if you're starting pitching keeps you in there and gives you a chance. Brad, I'm glad you brought up 2014 because I've been thinking about that a lot myself, was doing a little down the rabbit hole baseball reference research today, and uh, hopefully I can steal some ideas from you as we talk here. But, you know, winners get to write their version of history, and so now it's this, like, like you know, September 2014 was this, like, grand revelation when, you know what, to quote ex-Cub Matt Garza, it was kind of a crap show. I mean, the Cubs had a negative 38 run differential that month. Like, they wound up firing their hand-picked manager for the second year in a row. Bill Miller quit as hitting coach because the front office wanted a different assistant. Anthony Rizzo was out with a back injury for almost the entire month. Like, they obviously turned it around, but there was a lot that led up to it and a lot after that. So I'm just not buying these 2014 comparisons. Like... I'm not saying the Cubs can't make a big leap next year. I'm not saying they don't have a lot of building blocks in place, but like, I think we need all need a reality check of like how you know, bad that 2014 season was. Like, it was not this great. Like, oh, they definitely have. It. They basically had to teach Jorge Soler how to run because he was getting so many hamstring injuries. Javier Baez was, like, (laughs) striking out at an absurd rate. Like, the Cubs went into that year. Their big new introduction was Clark the Cub, and they rolled over the money they didn't spend on Tanaka. Like, this was not some, like, like, uh, you know, juggernaut that was obvious to everyone. Like, there was a lot of uncertainty and you can take that a lot of different ways, like moving forward and how it applies here. But I think everyone needs a, a check on like, you know, the Cubs right now don't have Schwarber, Bryant, Solaire, Baez, like Addison Russell, like those top of the top prospects. And that doesn't mean they can't win next or, year, but there's a lot. They don't, they don't have a guy like uh, what Jake Arrieta did from May on of 2014. Everyone thinks 2015 was his breakout. Uh, he was amazing from two in 2014. He was one of the better pitchers in baseball and it just doesn't, went overlooked because doesn't Justin he was Jake Arietta at the time. Doesn't Justin Steele have the best ERA in baseball since, uh, fair no, enough. Just, no, I'm good kidding. Po- that's, I'm, a, that's a good point. I'm sort no, 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 of kidding. it's not, but it, you can't completely dismiss that. You're right. Like there is, there are, I think Patrick's, uh, point can be taken in multiple ways. Like, you know, don't overreact to this and, and maybe, uh, 
maybe it's not always obvious when you're on the precipice uh, at the time. And also, like, you know, the the Cubs maybe have, like, we just need to, we need to see what they do and, and how this all unfolds, right? But but the story will be written with what follows. Not it's really hard to figure it out right now. I get I, I appreciate what you're saying, Patrick. It's hard to they, they need to they need to be on top of this and, and really be uh, smart with how they attack this winter for any of this to matter. It was, that's a good call on Steelbread, but I just don't see him throwing two hundred twenty nine innings next year the way Jake did. <laughs> I don't see anybody. Making like three postseason starts. Yeah. I don't see anybody throwing two hundred and twenty innings next year. Uh, no, I, I think that's a, it's a good point too, that we, I mean, we always romanticize eras and time periods in service of things that we want to believe or things that we want to say or art that we want to craft. Uh, I mean, I could say that what you were just laying out is all the more reason why right now there's a parallel because there are tons of issues right now, right? Just like there were tons of issues. No, but I mean, the part of it that, that always sticks yeah, I mean the part that always sticks to me when I'm when I apply caution both to others and to myself in drawing that comparison is fundamentally the farm system impact is dramatically different. It's just it, it is they are in uh both were in very good shape but just fundamentally different. I mean you had the reason we I think the reason we look back on 2014 is probably less because of that 500ish second half and it was more Kyle Hendricks came up, Anthony Rizzo emerged, Javi Baez we got it we're you know there's Mendy Alcantara. Remember he, he didn't it didn't didn't take but he was the first cookie as folks may recall. I think that was why you know, we like to think about that time because we could see those guys starting to emerge and um, guys were reaching AAA, you know, et cetera, et cetera. This Cubs farm system and looking forward to next year, it's not going to have that same flavor. I mean, there's, I think it's going to be more, you know, in a way, well, we'll talk about Jeremiah Estrada in a moment because we'll get into the bullpen. But like a guy like Javier Assad is almost, he's almost a better emblem of what this era of the Cubs farm system is, which is, you know, I watch him come up and I'm like, you know, I don't really see a mid-rotation starter there. I, I don't even know if I see a solid back of the rotation starter there in terms of the pitches, in terms of the command, in terms of um, a variety of things. Okay. But he's capable. He's gotten results. He's a guy that almost any team would love to be able to have as like a sixth, seventh starter coming up and down. And he's the kind of guy the Cubs haven't produced for a decade, a quality depth starter that you have controlled that you can bring up and give you four or five solid innings. Like they just haven't had that. And they have that in spades now. Now, and and I don't mean literally just in starting pitchers. I mean, in that caliber of big league acceptable player, and you need that. Now, don't get me wrong. You also have to consolidate a lot of that talent into impact players. uh, If you're really going to compete, but the Cubs had that last time they had tons of those big time impact guys, what they didn't do. And it's, lots of reasons that we've we don't have to get into today but like 15 16 17 18 they weren't able to backfill anything internally they just they just couldn't everything had to be covered over with more signings with more trading prospects to get pieces they just did not have that that next wave of guys or even depth guys you know the david Bodie stands out for a reason because he was like the only guy who kind of came out of nowhere and was like oh that's a useful potential depth big leaguer cubs have tons of those guys now so many that we joke we can't keep track of them all but it's true and so um 
that's where I I have trouble doing the whole 2014 to 2023 compare 22 comparison. But that said, circling back to where we started, I think it is useful uh, to have a month like this month where you play 500 ball, particularly uh, tough schedule. They, they, some of the opponents weren't all that tough, but the Cubs played 20 games in 19 days during this. And that was at a time when Keegan Thompson went on the IL uh, and they're still without Wade Miley. I mean, like they had to, and, and after they traded four of their best relievers. So to pull off 500 during this stretch, I think is going to say a lot to them. It's going to say a lot to the guys in the clubhouse. I think it's going to say a little bit to the organization. And I think it's going to matter um, in the off-season evaluation of what this team can be in 2023. And that's, that's the part that I seize on the most as mattering the most. Yeah, no, no, I don't think there's any doubt that it matters. Like, like I said, and I, I think David Ross kind of hammers this home, and and uh, you know the the most, uh, you know the the player that probably has the most pull in the clubhouse, in uh, Nico Horner, has has said this multiple times. But winning does matter right now to them, and and I think they they want to show, it, like as much as they want to show us and everyone else that hey we're we're a destination i think it's they want to prove it to themselves that they can win games and stay in games and be competitive and and uh be better than maybe what the talent is right now right that that's another thing that we've talked about uh over the years uh, that that previous you know the peak cubs of the past eight years or whatever uh they only once did the talent equal the play on the field, right? In 2016, it felt like every other year, even in 17 and uh, and beyond those those playoff runs, that they, they just didn't seem to live up to what the talent seemed to suggest. And and maybe when you have an August like this, with what uh, and again, I've only looked at like the only thing that I've looked up is the offense. It's not good this month, but when you're able to win games and do things uh that's that's kind of like uh, the brewers methodology of winning right when they when would be like how are they doing this type thing i'm not saying that they're close to a playoff team yet or, or doing enough but but you need to sometimes win when you when it's like huh what, what's going on type thing and i and and i think they're they're uh they've been able to do that for a month and and with the right moves if they can do that for six months and get to 85 wins next year we'll look at it and be like well that was that was interesting and and setting themselves up properly for the future yeah i mean we all know that the cubs don't have like that number one prospect in all of baseball on the horizon but there is i don't know at least an interesting mix of guys that could be coming up uh, as September call-ups or will have to be added to the 40-man roster uh, but <clears throat> by that off-season deadline or else be exposed in the Rule 5 draft. And as Jed Hoyer said, like that's not a problem we've uh, had in a couple of years that, you know, whether it's uh, Wesneski acquired from the Yankees or bringing back Caleb Killian or Canario on the hitting side. I kind of doubt Brendan Davis will be brought up, but it's not out of the realm of possibility since they have to add him anyways and they expect him to be in the Arizona Fall League. So, I don't know, there's a lot still to be found out this year and that, you know, we'll see how this podcast 
uh, ages, what we're talking about here, you know, like in a couple of weeks, maybe the Cubs do kind of hit that wall and fall in the tank, or maybe a lot of these guys kind of show up the way that Estrada did. And it was pretty eye-opening. You know, I thought JD on the broadcast had a good analogy of like, you know, the, the data can like only show you so much that the hitters will tell you kind of the rest of the story. And it's like David Ross says, you know, the major league talent stands out uh, on the field. And to me, you know, Estrada kind of had it and the Cubs have not had it in a long time in terms of guys that they had drafted and coming up and kind of just blowing hitters away on a pretty good team. And we'll, we'll see kind of how they manage the rest of the season here and, and what more information they can gather. Yeah, let's. you went right where I wanted to go, which was to Estrada. And, um, you know, the, the Cubs bullpen this month in August has, by the results, been atrocious. Uh, bottom five, pretty clearly. And I think we all know the reasons for that. I think, um, you know, they've been heavily, heavily taxed and they were depleted at the trade deadline. And uh, But maybe more than that, there is... Uh, we talked about it, I think, last episode. There's a there's a learning process about roles and what guys can do. It was the thing that we always saw with Joe Madden in April and May of seasons. It's kind of like we're seeing it now with a lot of young guys. Um, and Estrada comes up, and I got to tell you, I so I had fought. I'm a prospect nerd, so I was aware of all of his results this year. And but I don't, you know, you see clips from the minor leagues, and and God bless. Uh, MILB TV and the individual team broadcasts because it's better than nothing, but the camera angles are not great. The video quality is not great. And, um, you know, our baseline for comparison as fans when we're watching on TV, at least, is like we have a pretty static view, uh, both literally of where the camera is placed, but also like, okay, I need to see it in the same way among pitchers so I can compare this guy to this guy and, and whatever. So I knew uh, that Estrada was coming up with a uh, potential plus slider and a really, really good fastball. Like one of those, like wink, wink, he's got a, you're going to be impressed. Okay. Uh, even knowing that I could not believe what I was seeing when I was watching that debut, that fastball. So I didn't know any of the data either that fastball I'm watching it. And I'm like, this is the best single pitch in terms of pure stuff that I have seen come up through the Cubs farm system since Dylan Maple's slider where you're watching it and you're like, holy shit, is this pitch real? Uh, this The fastball, for those who haven't seen it or haven't watched clips, please do. But it isn't just that it's 98, 99 miles an hour. Lots of guys do that, okay? It is the most rising fastball. Not literally, of course. It just defies the effects of gravity visually. Uh, I believe it was it's number two in baseball. I mean, he's only thrown 10 of them, so we're it's an, the evaluation is uh, limited in the data, but so I'm watching it and I'm just like, this thing is crazy. It's special. It looks wrong. You watch it and you're like, it's movement profile just looks wrong. It doesn't look like what it's supposed to, what a fastball is supposed to look like. And sure enough, you know, people went back and checked the data after and it's absurd. I mean, it is like one of the most bonkers fastballs in baseball. And, you know, I try, I'm trying not to let that carry me too far away because a guy is always just one little tweak away from, you know, uh, not being able to do it anymore. And uh, Estrada has certainly had a lot of uh, arm issues in the past, but at the same time, it's like, can I just be excited about it? Cause like, 
I see it in front of me, this truly special pitch. And then the data confirms it is a truly special pitch. Okay, cool, man. I'm just going to enjoy the hell out of that because especially on the pitching side, those kinds of things have been few and far between for years now. And um, it was really heartening to see him come up and immediately show out why he's a guy who, having barely pitched before this year, flew up all the way from high A to double A to triple A to the big leagues in one year. Um, it's he's, he's only a reliever, and so there's, there's limited... It, it, that does limit things, but like, man, I don't think you could put too high a ceiling on his impact potential as a reliever now knowing that he's got that fastball. Yeah, I mean, it, you, even without the data, when you see someone pounding the zone with their fastball and getting those types of swings and misses in a league that is trained to hit upper 90s fastballs, uh, you know it's special, right? You know that the fastball is special. The slider, obviously, he, he, if he can command it, that that's, that's a really good pitch as well. I mean, like you said, the ceiling is, you know, limitless in the sense that it, I, I hesitate to say this without seeing a guy, so I didn't want to say it beforehand because you hear it. But, yeah, that's closer stuff. That he's, I mean, they could, if he stays healthy, and I think health is probably the biggest thing here, and we can't, like overlook that at all that is the all that matters I think if he stays healthy they have their they have a guy that could you know even if they go out and get a, a closer at some point if they're a competitive team and they want him to be he's just he, he'll be a great setup guy right as long as he's healthy as long as he has the ability to you know uh handle these situations right the mental aspect of the game as long as he can do all that stuff which it seems like he he can right he wasn't overwhelmed by his debut but we'll see we'll see how it all all progresses there pure stuff uh how he handled that it looks like a pretty special reliever and and they need those guys because like you said this bullpen is rough right now and, and it should be you trade four guys like they traded uh, it's going to be tough, and and you know David Ross is is put in this awkward position where people are like, why is he why is he having these guys go two innings? This isn't a guy that can go two innings. Who's he supposed to pitch? Who's he supposed to put out there? When when is he supposed to learn about his pitchers? Do you want him doing that in 2024 when they're supposedly competitive, or do you want him to figure these things out now? Uh, like you said, Brett, like this was this used to be April and May type stuff for Joe Madden. You, at least they have the opportunity. Look, the one benefit of of this team being bad and out of it is they can figure out what they have, and David Ross can try and get some information about these guys. What can this guy handle? Just because he traditionally hasn't done this doesn't mean I can't push him and and see what he can handle and see what he can do. Maybe this guy's more than anyone expected, uh, and I think he's learning that. Right now, he has one guy that's a major league quality reliever, and and he has another guy that just got called up. That that like we Patrick and I weren't in Toronto, but my assumption is David Ross was impressed. Uh, like he was he was probably quite pleased with that outing, and we'll see rosters expand today, right? So we'll find out tomorrow. I I mean we don't I I don't have any information as of yet. But I think it would be surprising if he's not added, right? Like, it, he's got to be added to the 40-man anyways. It, it'd be weird if they send him down. 
Uh, I don't know the call backup rules, uh, like how long he'd have to wait if he is, since he was a uh, uh, a COVID call up. Uh, so I, I don't know exactly how it will work, but it, we're going to see him a lot more the rest of September uh, in some fashion. And, and I think that as long as he stays healthy, that has to feel good to be like, okay, we have a lefty and we have a righty for the bullpen, young, under control. Uh, and, and it's, you know, if you want to try and compete in 2023, obviously you do the poo-poo platter of veterans like they always do and maybe – two of them work out but you have two uh, uh rookies why are you call uh, it a poo-poo platter it always it always works out like, call it like well, a, what I, you know at least call it crudite <laughs> <laughs> well what i mean by that is like a bunch of guys that everybody's like i don't know if this will work out but it always works out for the cubs somehow they, they've been you know there's no nobody that you're like that's a no doubt reliever that's going to give them you know, 50 quality appearances type thing. It, it's, it, it, I'm not, <laughs> but yes, that's, that's the point. We'll see what they do. I think that to transition off of that, the uh, cautionary tale here is like Ethan Roberts, like everyone's going crazy on him on, on Twitter and, you know, looking, he, he had really great stuff and like kind of opened eyes in spring training. And then obviously, He's now unfortunately recovering from Tommy John surgery and Estrada already had it. But I think there's, you know, a huge difference between like pumping out guys who can show up on pitching ninja and building a functional bullpen for six months. And I think that's where, I mean, Sahad, if you've hammered this point in the past that you need veterans to like set an example and kind of show younger guys how to prepare and how to stay ready mentally and physically and go through the ups and downs. So I, and Jed has, is the one who's said that repeatedly, too. And obviously, Craig Breslow knows the grind of that as whatever, spending 12-something years in the big leagues in the bullpen. Like, they're going to have to add externally with established guys. And, you know, I think that's going to be a real <clears throat> challenge here, circling back to 2014, that I think the Cubs overplayed this narrative, too, of, like, we knew hitters would be the sturdiest bet for the future. Like, I think some of that was just circumstance and – risk aversion but like they're betting a lot on pitching here and we'll see you know how many of these tommy john guys they brought in you know whether it was kate horton in the first round or some of these younger pitchers they've acquired you know in trades or through the draft like we'll see how many of them can uh you know stay healthy and available and relevant through a next competitive phase but yeah for september i mean why not? I mean, see what you have. Um, I mean, I think Wisniewski pitched out of the bullpen last night, right? So is that he, a... He did, but he went he went five innings, though, so it was sort of like... Because when he first came in, I was actually at that game, and when he came in, I was like, whoa, this is interesting. Maybe they're doing a little prep for... Because they've talked about how, uh, with Keegan Thompson and Justin Steele, how that was a process that they liked. You know, bring him up, expose him in the bullpen get them used to the big league life, big league hitters, a little more controlled. And then if justified and you sort of transition them back into the rotation. Uh, and so I did start to get a little bit of a, Ooh, I wonder if they're going to pitch him in relief the rest of the way to give him that exposure in the big leagues, because he is among the guys, as you've said, who has to be added to the 40 man anyway. But then he just like dominated and cruised for five innings. And I'm like, Oh, I think that was just a piggyback situation. 
But you know what? Your point stands too, because I wanted to point out, and maybe we'll wrap here, you know, the, the best organizations that are constantly pumping out um, useful relievers in the big leagues, and it is a numbers game, which is unfortunate because your point on Ethan Roberts is very well taken, and Brad Wick and Cody Hoyer, and we've seen a lot of injuries for the Cubs in the bullpen when you have these... Um, I'm not attributing it to high stuff, high velocity, but like, you know, you can only do that if you are fully healthy. And so we have seen attrition and and it's just a reality of that role. Um, So you have to have incredible volume and a lot of your best relievers are going to be the guys who there just wasn't a spot for them to start or they, their stuff played as a starter all the way up to AAA and then just not quite at the big league level. And so a lot of the potential best relievers <clears throat> for the Cubs in the future might come from a, a, an increasingly deep pool of quality starting pitching prospects that have reached that AA, AAA level. And so I, I will be fascinated to see how the Cubs coordinate that um, going forward because of, as we talked about, you can try to get, you know, dip guys' toes in the water in the bullpen in the big leagues and um, then maybe get them some exposure and who knows, but it's a volume thing and you have to have tons and tons of backfill options available. And I think the Cubs will now going forward in a way that they didn't previously. Um, okay. Good, good chat. Good talk. Uh, we will be back at you after the weekend. Uh, Cubs are going to St. Louis and, uh, you know, we'll see how that, uh, you know, we'll see if if they get smoked by the Cardinals this weekend. I'm going to pretend I never said the stuff about, you know, them being. <laughs> I'm just going to be like, no, you misunderstood. You misinterpreted the point I was making. And I'm really good at that, by the way. Boy, I can. I never actually say anything. I just I say things that I can then contour later on and be like, well, what I meant. The Cardinals have been they've been playing good ball, too. Right. My, yes, they've been super hot. They've in the, been playing really. Yeah, they and the Brewers have been moving in strongly opposite opposite directions. directions. Um, and then, uh, yeah, we'll talk to you next week. Uh, appreciate you guys as always. Uh, you guys being both the two of you, Sahadif Sharman, Patrick Mooney of the Athletic, uh, but also you fine listeners. Uh, I'm Brett Taylor. You can get my stuff at Bleacher Nation, and we will talk to you again soon. Take care. Mm-hmm.